it's almost like there's not mushroom to move. Those poor people, they're probably incredibly sleep deprived and then they're locked in a room with a girl who may or may not be ready to kill them in their sleep. Isn't that just parenting? We see some ducks in the water and then a frog playing on the piano. I wondered if there was any fish in that water as well. And if so, would it be a piano tuner? Oh my God, Damien. <laughs> I wrote down, was that Kermit? It really gave me flashbacks to when you were 15 and we go to a school disco and there was just a lot of like washing machine tongue involved. I mean, I've had some bad kisses in my time, but that one did not look enjoyable. 100%. This podcast was recorded remotely and may contain adult language and themes. Hello and welcome to TV DNA, The Last of Us, Season 1, Episode 2, Infected. My name is Adam Henning and I'm joined on this perilous journey by two survivors. He's a mildly better pianist than the frog in this episode. It's Damien Cooper. Well, at least I didn't shit my pants. <laughs> For that, we are truly grateful. And as precious a commodity to us as chicken is to Tess, it's Isabel Dixon. That was scary. This is wood. Bradley Crease is not with us this week. Unfortunately, he's travelling, which is good because my line for him was about shitting his pants and Damon's already used that one. <laughs> right then, episode two. Uh, what do we think of this one? First thoughts? Alternative title for this episode, For Shroom the Bell Tolls. <laughs> one character did unfortunately meet a sad end, which I know we'll come on to later, but didn't see that coming. I do think we need to take a moment to fully appreciate how good that was. I did think of it while I was watching it and I was like, damn, this is going to be the best thing I say on this podcast. <laughs> Good luck for the next hour. You're getting nothing out of me. My brain's dry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a shame that we lost Tess so soon in the story, I think. She was, as we said last week, a really, really brilliant character and, and does some some great stuff again in this episode. It's pulling at the old heartstrings episode after episode. What's the body count so far? Pretty high. If you include the 20-year ju jump, then there's probably been quite a few dead. If you include the city of Jakarta at the beginning, then in the millions. Yeah. What did you think, Demi? Yeah, really good. So obviously, as the resident person who's played the game as well, there was so much interesting extra stuff that we don't get in the game that was nice. And some changes to what happens in the game, some slight changes. But I like the change. I wasn't sure. We got towards the end of the episode. So Tess is passing. That happens in the game. So Bradley and I were trying really hard to skirt around that uh, last episode, lest we ruin it. But yeah, the the that final thing we don't... In the game, it isn't the, the kind of horde of zombies. It's, I believe, it's Fedra uh, that, that chase after. And all, a lot of that stuff in the museum is Fedra rather than the uh, the zombies. But as I'm sure we're about to just get into, all that stuff in Jakarta is not in the game. Anything pre-2003 or 2003 that isn't in Austin, Texas is all brand new. I'm really enjoying these cold opens they do where we get context to what's going on in the episodes. So obviously I loved last week's 1967 flashback and I think this was a really, really good opening as well just for kind of giving, I guess giving you kind of backstories for people like me and Adam who don't know the game at all kind of filling in the blanks very quickly. But I'm really appreciating them and really enjoying them. Yeah, me too. We meet Ibu Ratna in this one uh, in Jakarta. They mentioned Jakarta in the last episode, didn't they? They do, yeah. I think that was the source of the outbreak or where they first picked up that it was happening. But 
Ibu is a professor of mycology and she's picked up by the police whilst she's eating her breakfast. Yeah, and, and she's taken to a lab. So it's, it's almost certainly, not to confuse it even slightly, the lab is in Jakarta, Indonesia. It's definitely not some kind of lab in Wuhan, China, right? <laughs> There's absolutely no parallels being drawn there. Nothing like that for legal reasons. Cordyceps, as she says, cannot survive in a human. And this is what is what has obviously changed, what has mutated and what causes this big in infection pandemic. There's a moment where we see her pulling the, I want to call them mandibles, out of the corpse. And she says, there is no medicine, there is no vaccine. And he asks, so what do we do? Yeah. Was it me or did that move in her tweezer? 100%. I made the mistake of eating dinner while watching this, which I don't recommend. <laughs> what did you have for dinner? A black lentil dal from M&S. No mushrooms? No mushrooms. I think that would have been too far. But still not great consistency or general vibe while watching this show was there chicken in that there was no chicken it was a vegan doll so the thing that <laughs> the thing that she ibu ratner recommends they do is to bomb start bombing bomb this city and everyone in it and of course later on we see a few craters from where some bombing took place i mean clearly it hasn't worked so yeah as we should have learned by now indiscriminate bombing does not fix any problem <laughs> I think also probably a shout out. I don't have their name to hand, but the actor who played Ibu, I thought was brilliant. Yeah, she was great. I, again, did a little bit of research on this and um, she nearly turned down the role because she was caring for her family during the COVID-19 pandemic. So wasn't really acting at the time. And then I think got persuaded to take it by a family member who really liked the games. But yeah, it's brilliant. Good knowledge. So we then go into the opening credits before we get to the episode proper. And I had a closer look at all of this stuff. And I think it was quite obviously you see these buildings sprouting up in the in the shape of this fungal spread, right? But I thought I saw a map of the USA. And I think I saw people before we then finally see Joel and Ellie represented in, in fungus form. Yeah. So into the episode proper then. And Ellie wakes up. It looks like she's been watched all night by Tess and Joel. Of course, we left them at the last episode having seen that she had been infected and, and her protesting that it was three weeks ago and that she's fine. I mean, you wouldn't sleep, would you? Those poor people, they're probably incredibly sleep deprived. They've been on the run for ages and then they're locked in a room with a girl who may or may not be infected and ready to kill them in their sleep. So isn't that just parenting? Yeah. But yeah, so the conversation uh, we, between Tess and Joel and Ellie is kind of around sort of her asking questions about being outside. If we're out in the open city, why aren't we getting swarmed? And them asking questions about her bite and how, how did they test you? She says she had to count to 10 slowly and tell them her name. But I think what really impressed them was the fact that I didn't turn into a fucking monster. I love her. Honestly, Bella Ramsey, absolutely killing it. I could watch her all day. She's phenomenal in this. Yeah, she's perfect as that kind of sort of feisty yet. Not innocent and naive, because I think that's that's not quite right for her. But I, I, I think she's got the acting chops to do this in a really, really convincing way. I thought she did really brilliantly in this episode. Yeah, and you buy that she's a kid, which I really love, because obviously a lot of the time you get Hollywood actors in their late teens, early 20s, pretending to be 14-year-olds in a very unbelievable way, but you totally buy that she's a kind of teenager, really naive. Well, not naive, as you said, she's got, she's quite ballsy, but 
you know, doesn't know a lot about this world that she's found herself in. And yeah, it's just really, really great casting. Obviously, she's still got that kind of curious and playfulness as well that comes with that youth. So I think that moment when Joel says, if she so much as twitches, and then immediately she starts twitching like she's <laughs> like she's turned. We've, we've seen quite a few of those kind of moments, haven't we? Which is, you know, uh, in keeping with Ellie in the game as well. Yeah, it's just before she asks for a gun. This <laughs> is really funny. But Joel's convinced she's going to turn at some point. He wants to take her back to the QZ. And he says, stop talking about this kid like she's got some sort of life in front of her. Obviously, calling back to his own daughter. Yeah, and we also learn that after he'd beaten the shit out of that soldier, there's a chance he's got a hairline fracture in one of his, I guess, one of his fingers or his knuckles. He's got a problem with his dominant hand, which might be an issue later. <laughs> so we, if I'm not wrong, Ellie says she's been infected for three weeks. Is that is that right? Um, I might have missed this. Is that the same for the game demo? Is she? I believe so, yeah. It's hard for me to remember the exact details. But yeah, she's been infected for a while. So like Bradley was saying, that conversation that's had when they killed the soldier is pretty much what it is, uh, I believe, in the game as well. Tess tells her that Joel and I aren't good people and also asks why why she's so important, why it's important that she gets her to where she needs to go. And I thought Maxine was pretty goddamn clear and pretty goddamn convincing. (laughs) Don't tell anyone what I'm about to tell you or you will die. And she acknowledges that. Ellie acknowledges the fact that, you know, I can't believe I'm telling the first person who's asked me this question. But we find out what we suspected, that she is the key to finding the vaccine. Or she, you know, that's what she has been told, you know, whether Ellie believes it herself or not. But because she hasn't turned, having been bitten, Actually, is that the only reason? I don't know. That's what she's been told. She's the key to finding a vaccine. Joel's heard all of this before and says that this isn't going to end well. But they are convinced later on in the episode when when Ellie gets bitten again and doesn't have a reaction. Certainly Tess is convinced. and, And I think Joel too, by the end of this episode, that there is something special and different about this girl. I really liked the journey of that a lot, that they're both really sceptical at the beginning. And then at the end, I mean, Tess obviously has been bitten, kind of knows she's going to die, but the kind of real eagerness to be like, please do this one thing. I'm not going to ask anything else of you. And that she's completely convinced by that point. It's a really, really nice journey. Yeah, it's, it's a lovely moment where, where Ellie reveals that she's not only is she the one who's been bitten, but she's been bitten in exactly the same place she was bitten before. And she was like, well, if anyone was going to get bitten, it was going to be me, right? Yeah, she's very chill about it. Yeah. So we then move into Boston and the Boston ruins, right? And we we learn a bit more about the bombing here. We see the crater. Tess says that most cities were bombed. It didn't always work to slow down the spread. So presumably sometimes it did. Yeah, and this is just, I think this is an Easter egg for those who have played the game. When they were walking through the city, there was like a plush, cuddly giraffe toy that there was a shot of next to the car. Giraffes are a... uh, a theme in the game so I thought that was quite a nice little touch there was also some other really good stuff there as they were walking across the bridge if if I've jumped ahead too far let me know Adam where Tess is saying is anyone coming after you any parents or a boyfriend and uh, Ellie says I'm an orphan and you don't need to worry about that which is a really nice moment for those who know 
and then there's a talk about how she was bitten, when she was bitten, where, and it being at a mall that she broke into. And I think, does Tess ask whether she was on her own or something like that? There was a question around that, I think. And that's kind of important. The story of how she gets bitten is important. I don't know whether we'll visit that in season one or season two. I can't remember exactly where that comes in the the game whether it was like an extra bit after the first game or if it's the beginning of the second game that's kind of very important so I think they've kind of started to set all those things up quite nicely and the themes that will be explored when we see what happens to her when she was bitten it's really fascinating to hear all of that stuff because it all feels really natural in the show it feels like this is just the story that's being told it doesn't feel like stuff is being set up for future things or is being you know just popped in there for those who play the game yeah, I think they've done an amazing balance of someone who'd never even heard of the game for hearing about the show coming out, not making it feel like there's stuff that you had to have played the game to get. But at the same time, there are these little Easter eggs where if you are a fan of it, there's like an extra layer, an extra texture. I think that's a really, really hard thing to balance and do well. Well, let's go back to the episode then. So they, they, they have the choice of going the long way or the short way or the long way or the we're fucking dead way. And if anyone's going to ask Ellie... She votes the long way just based on that limited information. <laughs> and then we get these stories. We learn a bit more about the infected swarms, right? So we learn that... I'm lost in my, in my notes. But I th- then can I just quickly talk about something that is before that that we've missed? Go on. Just quickly. So they go into the building that is the hotel that they then climb up and see. And, and Tess gives that kind of expositional uh, explanation of how it all works. The, the the network and we see some ducks in the water and then a frog playing on the piano i wondered if there was any fish in that water as well and and if so would it be a piano tuner oh my god damien <laughs> i wrote down was that kermit playing the piano there's a conversation about the infected swarms and she talks about these you know stories of super infected and they go no no that's not a thing and then she says something about these split open heads that can see in the dark and they say nothing. So I was like, oh, right. So so that is a thing then that does happen. But I thought it was really well done how she was asking all of these questions and they were poo-pooing some of it and then just not responding to other bits of it. Exactly how I'd be as a parent or parental figure, I think. Just, yeah. you know, leave, leave them guessing, throw some scary things out there and just don't respond either way. So just remind me, that's, that's the stuff that's said on the kind of uh, hotel balcony right where they're looking out it's before they get to the hotel so before they enter oh, the hotel, sorry. On, on their way to there she's she's asking about these infected swarms and stuff and, and what she's heard the stories that she's heard about that you know because she's never been out there before and seen them herself but yeah she does go in and does do a bit of role play uh in the hotel <laughs> and then there's a sort of jump scare as a skeleton pops out yeah and there's that lovely moment where joel gives his hand to her to help her out. And then she walks off and then he kind of stops and suddenly looks at his hand as if like, oh shit, what have I done? Having touched her. Yeah. So they've gone in this hotel to have a look, right? They've gone, the idea of going into the hotel was to see their way through to where they're trying to get to. Yeah. They know, they know it's somewhere they can get up high, but uh, the way is blocked by some debris. Um, yeah. So Tess has to climb up, which means we get a few minutes of Joel and Ellie having some alone time. Yeah, this is a gorgeous scene and just starts giving some context to their relationship because they have that scene in the first episode where you start seeing them kind of figure each other out. But I think this just gives so much more depth to it. And I love the bit where she talks about the infected and 
is like, have you killed any of them? And he's like, yeah. And then she's like, is it hard knowing no one's human? And it's just, yeah, something really chilling about that, but so great. I like also that when he decides he's going to sit down, he still pretty much brings the machine gun up and points it at her as he sits down. He's still not convinced. Yeah, and we also learn that they live a few months or 20 years. Give or take. Yeah, I guess because a lot of them, it feels like, and I might have this wrong, obviously don't know all the lore of the game, but it feels like often they live a few months and then a few of them survive. But often it's often they don't. Might have this wrong, Damien. Maybe you can sense check me on it. But the surviving twenty years thing is is not like a common thing. They don't really go into it. So unless it's like deep somewhere in the game that I've not seen or I've forgotten, I think it is just random. So it's more a case of whether they can feed off someone else or not. So you know, as we get later on, there's it's completely gone. You know, things have dried out and parched, and they're no longer part of the network. So I think it's more that so that they're probably they can live up to 20 years, but they have to be feeding on things in yeah. order to do so. Or beyond, I guess, because it's only been 20 years since the outbreak. So I guess that's kind of what I wondered. Is it is it they have to be in this like cluster or in this network? And then if you isolate them, eventually they they die off. I guess that I guess we find out. But yeah, getting little hints about the biology and how it all works is super interesting. That's the next thing that we learn, right, is that the that. There's a lot of there's a conversation about as they're looking at this swarm from above, and we learn that they gradually take over a city as as people are trying to get to the quarantine zones, and that they are all connected. So they're connected by the sort of growth underground. So if you step on something, they'll know where you are from a distance. And this all comes to play in the latter part of the episode as they're they're walking through what feels like sort of dead material. And then eventually they get to a point and, and we see the, I don't know what to call it, the plant life reacting. Yeah, so this is stuff that's not really in the game. This is something that's kind of been taken further for the show. In the game, in order to attract the attention of, say, someone who's been infected rather than a human character that you, an alive human character, should I say, that you're facing off against, is usually they will see you, or when we get to these new newer types that are further along, they can only hear. But the moment they touch you, you're dead. They are quite, certainly for the first third of the game, bar one or two other big boys, they are kind of the scary, terrifying part of the game. And I think they, you know, well, I'm not going to jump ahead. (laughs) I definitely could not handle playing the game. I could not do it. The power you have, Damo, with all this knowledge from the game over, over us mere mortals... (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, so we go into the Bostonian Museum, right? This is this is the next place that, that we're into. And this is kind of the key action part of the episode, right? There's some zombies in this house. There's some zombies in this house. Just like the minute they're like, we're going to go in this really creepy old abandoned building. You're like, well, this is going to end badly for at least one of you. Yeah. I think by this point, we've had tests at least once, maybe twice, talk about how important it is that Ellie survives because... Otherwise, what's the point of all of this? And that the focus is on Ellie surviving. It doesn't really matter about anyone else. But yeah, they find this guy, don't they, in the in the museum. And I couldn't I couldn't quite work out what, what the difference was. But basically, there's a recently deceased guy. He's not he doesn't have fungus growing all over him. He's kind of bloody and maybe torn up. And Ellie's like confused about what what did that. And obviously Joel and Tess are then concerned about what might be with them inside that museum. And he says, from this point on, we are silent. Hugh creaking stairs 
and falling debris. Like <laughs> they cannot silently make their way up those stairs. There's just far too much noise, despite the fact they're not talking. There's a great bit before this, I think just before they go into the museum, where Tess says to Ellie that even if she's immune to getting infected, she's not immune to being torn apart. So I think we've sort of re-established that, yeah, she might not turn into one of them, but they absolutely can still kill them all. Yeah, certainly that's that moment in the hotel, right, where she's role-playing. She's not taking it seriously enough for Joel and Tess. And I think what happens in the end of this episode, potentially, will make it all a lot more real for Ellie. And, and she will think a little bit more about her actions and take it a bit more seriously. There's a moment where Ellie steps on an arm, and I just love the look that Pedro Pascal gives her. <laughs> it, was, it was so good. Such a dad look. But they move into another room, and then there's uh, more debris falls. There's no way back for them, basically. They're cut off. They can't retreat the way they've come. They have to go forwards. It's almost like there's not mushroom to move. Damon ah. put his hand up, which makes me think you were about to make that exact joke. No, believe it or not, I wasn't. <laughs> what I liked about the debris falling is that's also like a classic trope in games where basically that's it now. You can't go to the previous section. So anything you want to grab, especially The Last of Us, is definitely one where you kind of search the area to see what kind of supplies you can rustle up to help you as the game goes on. So that happens in the game as well. Although, interestingly, it's not really the zombies that you're dealing with at that point. You've got, I think it's maybe Robert's men or Fedra, but there's human beings that they're hiding. So that kind of crawling around the exhibit cases and all that it still happens. But instead of trying to hide from those scary ass clickers, as they're called, it's humans. Humans you can see, presumably, because I guess that's the one good thing about this is these things are blind AF. Yeah, there's a nice sort of hand gestures, you know, from Pedro Pascal's character from Joel. And, you know, they can't see, but they can hear what, what, what we're doing. I enjoyed that. And then we see these, I'm going to call them shroom heads. Basically, the growth has kind of covered the top half of their heads, right? So that's why they can't see, because... It's all grown over their eyes. So in the game, they're called clickers. But I mean, there's no reason why you can't coin your own terminology. I would just like to say that after last week, I did go and look at the terminology of the infected. So I came prepared for this. So I knew they were called clickers going into this episode, which I'm very impressed with myself about. Do they click to communicate with each other, given that they can't see each other? So are they clicking for each other or what's the reason behind them clicking? I think it's echolocation, isn't it? They make sounds to bouncing off prey. Is that it, Damo? I think it's a mix of both, really, because by using that echolocation, you can find out where other people are. And I think they can probably tell the difference between their click and someone else's. But we're not going to describe the action sequence that follows, but it was I, I, highly enjoyable. Tess and Joel are both fighting off these two terrifying creatures. There's a moment where Joel's the one who steps on some glass that he's broken, <laughs> which was a quite nice twist from Ellie having stepped on the arm earlier on. But ultimately, Tess comes out with a twisted ankle, right? Oh, does she? Yeah, it's fine. Just a bit of gaffer tape and she'll be fine. LX tape, sorry, maybe rather than gaffer. <laughs> This man has survived for 20 years. How? <laughs> I think if you ask any stage tech, they will tell you what you can do with a bit of gaff, how you can fix most things. I mean, gaffer tape can fix any problem. Um, but as she comes out of this, Tess is very tetchy. She's snapping at Joel all over the place with whatever he says. In fairness, I would be very tetchy if I just survived this. Definitely be mildly irked, at least. 
Fair point. Ellie likes a good view. Uh, they've got to the top of this building and they come out and there we see the gold topped spire in the distance, which is the building that we're eventually going to make our way to. Yeah, just Damo here on Game Watch, uh, Easter egg chapter. So the wooden plank between the buildings that she walks across first and then, and then Joel and Tess follow is like a, a mechanic that's used in the uh, mostly in the early part of the game. I can't think of it happening later in the game. And that's how you get around. So there was two, actually, there's another one. Sorry, The Last of Us game fans for me not mentioned this before. There's another bit uh, in the hotel where she says she can't swim. And that is also another important mechanic in the game because there will be an area with water and you have to find a way to get Ellie from where she stood to where she needs to be and not be in the water. And so that's the same with those wooden planks where you'd pick one up from somewhere or you'd move it from one rooftop to the other to proceed in the game. So just another couple of nice Easter eggs for the the game players. I did enjoy that. I can't swim. And then he's just like, yeah. So (laughs) walks into the water, which is only not even knee deep, I don't think. Yeah. Um, We get a lovely little watch reminder. Just a really tiny moment where Joel looks down at his watch before moving on at the end of that sequence when they're on those roofs. Uh, And again, it's kind of this, this thing of him has a conversation with Ellie, makes him think about his daughter. He references that by just glancing down at the watch. Yeah, and there's also something that Tess said at the end of her kind of Mardi conversation with Joel, where I think it was that maybe we could win for once. It's part of which is, and I guess my question is, obviously, I, I was aware that Tess doesn't make it beyond the state building. Watching this, where are you two at? Why do you think she's been such a... A Mardi Tess. I'll be honest, I, I thought at this point she'd been bitten. I was like, something's not adding up here. I, I didn't, I was confused. I wrote, um, I just wrote Tetchy Tess down and I didn't, I kind of was like, well, I don't know why she's being this way. But I can see now her trying to give him the hope to sort of push forward and to carry on. Like, you know, why can't you just take the wins when they come and be happy about it? Stop moaning about everything move forward isn't there a moment where there's something about um we only have this one life am i mixing that up with something else i don't I'm, know i'm clearly mixing it up with something else but <laughs> i mean you might not be <laughs> we might just not have retained this that was the sentiment of it right yeah but ultimately i, I felt ha- having seen the end of the episode and thinking back on that moment of her almost scolding him for being negative about surviving a sticky situation it's like, look on the bright side, keep going forward, move on. Every now and then we deserve a win, is kind of her, her message to him, right? So they find this building that they're supposed to take Ellie to, and there's an empty truck, but nobody there. So just before that, I think when we see Tess kind of really soldiering on to, to that walk down the street, and she's clearly, obviously, something's wrong. We know now, retrospectively, that she's being bitten but you can see that she's so focused on making sure that whatever happens, she gets Ellie to those fireflies before she dies. And meanwhile, Joe is completely oblivious. He's kind of looking at her thinking, blimey, she's got a bit of a stride on her for a broken, someone with a broken ankle and looking more suspiciously at the thing tied around Ellie's forearm. I mean, she's got a really great stride considering her legs gaffer taped. <laughs> <laughs> First aid by Joel. 
So they go inside, they go inside the building, find all the dead bodies. Ellie asks if it was Fedra, and Giles says, no, one of them got sick. Healthy ones fought the sick ones. Everyone lost. So in the game, they get there, they find all the fireflies are dead, and I believe it's rather than it being those zombies, it's Fedra that comes after them. And so Tess has a kind of heroic last stand with the Fedra people as you run out the building and across outside the other side. How do you feel about that change, Damo? Because that's that feels quite, I don't know, that's quite a nice story arc. I didn't hate this at all, but yeah, it's an interesting change. What are your thoughts on that? My thought on that is that because they've set up this thing about it being a network, a sensory network, so that if you get someone in the network, that information then sends its way through and then everyone else knows where to go. So the idea of setting that up and how it works is interesting and I like it. And so really that's how how you have to do it, I guess, because you have to understand now that if you touch anything that's still alive and part of the network, it will set everything off, which is not something in the game. So in a way, I think it's fine. And it also gives Tess an even more of a badass send-off, I guess, because of what she does. Yeah, I mean, I felt like we had a lot of Fedra in episode one, right? We got the the military rule quite heavily in episode one, but we got very few creatures in episode one. So in a way, I, I it was from a TV storytelling point of view, I thought it was really good that they'd, se- they'd separated those. Well, not that they separated those out, but they'd shown us both threats across those first two episodes. Yeah, I liked the fact Fedra was really scaled back in this one. I think also, so in the game, you're not really getting the kind of hordes that you see. I mean, one it assumes they exist, but you don't, they're not so explicitly in the game. So when that all kicks off and we see the hundreds, if not thousands, of zombies run and come at them, which is more like for the gamers out there, it was a bit more like something from days gone and how those like mega hordes of zombies are. But yeah, in the show, you kind of you're never really getting more than maybe 15 or 20 zombies at a time. But because you're so much weaker than them, that feels like an ins- insurmountable odds. So I like it. I guess the thing is, because of the very nature of the change in media that we're consuming it, there has to be those changes, I guess, because they have to, you know, they have to make it bigger because we're not moving the characters around. We're watching it. So it has to be more of a spectacle, even bigger, but still maintain that really strong narrative. Yeah. Well, let's wrap up what happens here then. So we learn that Tess has been bitten, obviously. She's been infected. And we also learn that Ellie is okay, that her bite hasn't changed her arm. So Tess is convinced now that Ellie is real and that Joel needs to get her to Bill and Frank's. You get her there, you keep her alive, and you set everything right. There's some stuff in that speech that is just beautiful. We were talking... Uh, last episode, I think it was Bradley that was talking about it first, um, about what is Tess and Joel's relationship. And when she has that big monologue and she says, I'm just asking, I never ask you to do anything for me. I ask you to do this one thing. And there's one of the lines where she says, I'm not ask you to feel the way that I felt talking about, you know, the state of their relation. What is their relationship? And all these other kind of moments that we suddenly get just brief glimpses of. And I mean, it's a great performance. And I think just also really good, concise, powerful writing. Yeah, it's the kind of natural, authentic world building, isn't it? Of these people that have had a history that, and it doesn't matter that we don't know all of it. We're not going to see all of it. 
but we can feel it through the way that they behave and the small things that they say to each other. It's, yeah, it's really beautiful stuff. One of the creatures wakes up, Joel shoots it, but its hand lands in the ground and he can see that it's waking the, the, the little follicles, that's the word for them, are reacting and moving. So Tess's plan is to give them time to escape. She throws gasoline and grenades all over the floor. Save who you can save, he tells her. Um, and then Joel drags Ellie off. Um, and then <laughs> this moment of the lighter not working as all of these creatures are running past. And then one stops to look at her. Oh, goodness me. This was not a sexy kiss moment. It really gave me flashbacks to when you were 15 and we go to a school disco and there was just a lot of like washing machine tongue involved. <laughs> I thought so. I wonder if it's going to become the new meme. You know the old meme of that guy shouting in the girl's ear in a club? Yeah. I, I wondered if this is going to be the, the kind of progression from that of him snogging her and her being like, okay, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've had some bad kisses in my time, but that one uh, did not look enjoyable. And clearly her mind wasn't on it. She kept trying to light the lighter and eventually it worked. Also, she had her eyes open when she was kissing and that is a bit weird. That's not sexy. I don't think it was pleasurable for either of them. <laughs> Pretty much the end of it, right? So RIP test, big, big bomb, big explosion. As we see Joel looking for anything, any creatures coming out the back of that with his gun. But we, we're pretty much there at the end of the episode. What a way to go, though. I was just so tense waiting for that lighter. To be like, please, please don't let him just get eaten alive. That's horrible. And then, yeah, badass explosion. Yes, RIP Tess. Going out in a blaze of glory, literally. Nice. Uh, I guess the reason why they initially ignored her was because they could sense that she was already infected, I'm guessing. Because a lot of them ran past her and she was not hiding. So I thought, I was trying to, then when he slowly came towards her, I thought, is is this because, because I think it's going to be like that moment in Alien, you know, where the, where the alien comes up really close and then kind of breathes on them. And I wondered if that's it. It's like, right, well, you're, you're already infected, so I'm just going to make you part of the network. Yeah, yeah, possibly. I did really like the fact it started and ended with the weird little mandible feelers as well. So we saw them right at the beginning in Jakarta and we sort of realised that's how they're connecting things. Then you have the whole through line with the network as a kind of story storytelling device. And then that was that was sort of the end. As so we saw the hand with them coming out and waking everything else up. I was like, oh, that's a really satisfying kind of full circle motif right there. Well, great stuff. Very satisfying episode, I think. It was great to learn more about our, our main characters. And I, I think in episode three, we are potentially going to be meeting Bill and Frank. So Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett in our near future, right? Absolutely psyched for this. Most of the reason I'm watching the show. Now, this is really exciting for the game players as well, because we don't see both Bill and Frank in the game. We only see one and the other is mentioned. So this is very exciting. As a Parks and Rec fan, I'm really hoping that Nick Offerman's character is basically Ron Swanson. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny that. I mean, famously in Parks and Rec, he like lives off the grid. He doesn't trust the government. He's really into, you know, he's got all the attributes. Really just want to, you just want to take that character and be like, he would be fine in the apocalypse. 100% fine. Well, we'll be back next week then to talk more about The Last of Us. Hopefully Bradley will be back with us for next week. But yeah, do let us know what you think of the latest episode on the socials at Pod on all good platforms. Or you can email tvdnapod at gmail.com. Now, what else have we been watching? 
Izzy? So I obviously am watching Happy Valley, so greatly enjoying the podcast, as I said last week. Really enjoying tuning in and listening to Grace and Adam chat every week. The other thing that I made a resolution to do this year was to watch some of the TV shows that I didn't catch first time round for whatever reason, but are always sort of seen as the really good TV you should watch. So I made a start this January with Broadchurch, which I've never, never got into first time round. So I'm just finishing up series one of that and really enjoying it. Really, really great. Kind of similar Happy Valley vibes, I would say, in a lot of ways. You've got like the small community detective, a couple of great female characters in there. Um, so really enjoying that. Watched the first episode of Our Flag Means Death, which I really enjoyed. So looking forward to getting stuck into that as well. How about you, Demo? Uh, so I also have caught up with Happy Valley. I binged pretty much all of series two uh, yesterday. Uh, and then I watched all of season three today where I could in amongst all the different bits and bobs I was doing. Uh, just brilliant. I don't know why I didn't get straight back onto series two when it came out because I loved series one and it just gets better and better. I think the only thing that is better than Happy Valley is probably the TV DNA Happy Valley podcasts. <laughs> too kind, too kind. <laughs> they are lots of fun. Yeah, I mean, that ending of season two of Happy Valley, right? It's oof. That's a big, big gut punch. But also absolutely hilarious. <laughs> that scene is so funny. I was crying with laughter up until he threw himself off the bridge because that whole bit is so absurd, so funny. Her saying, right, well, what are they teaching the training course? Can you tell me what I have to say to you to stop you from jumping? And then that kind of being echoed and then, you know, reflected and all that sort of stuff, just really, really funny stuff. Also, like, serious. Yeah, I mean, Sally Wainwright's so good at that, right? You get these, like, incredible moments of drama and just really kind of harrowing stuff, just interspersed with brilliant dialogue and brilliant moments. See also the Stew episode, like, the Stew moment from last week's episode, which is just some of the best writing I've seen on TV in a really, really long time. It is brilliant stuff, and, yeah, it's almost certainly going to be up there in my top shows of the year. And we're not at the end of January yet. I think there's only one small qualm. I think Grace was saying her qualm was that Catherine let the information lapse about Tommy leaving. I, I, I yeah, that's fair enough. I, I find it hard to believe that Catherine wouldn't do that. The only one that's been talked about in my flat is the fact that Catherine won't just tell Ryan what it was that Tommy's done. Like even on that doorstep, she couldn't bring herself to do it. And if she could have, I mean, obviously, we've got another three episodes or two episodes to fill narratively. <laughs> Poor Sally. She's got, you know, she's got a plan. And it's great to hear, Izzy, that you're watching uh, some old stuff. I've been doing similarly this year, partly because I found a lot of the new stuff in January this year has just kind of been OK. Nothing that's a happy valley in The Last of Us aside. Nothing's really, really grabbed me from the new shows that I've watched. It's been okay stuff. I finished um, Kaleidoscope the other day, uh, which I enjoyed, but I just felt that the the kind of innovative way that they've created this, so that you can watch any episode in any order, meant that narratively the structure suffered ever so slightly. I think I really enjoyed the pink episode. I think that was my favourite one. But by the time we got to the one that you're supposed to watch last, which is the white one... I felt like I knew most of what was going to happen in that episode. 
Yeah, and I think part of the problem with that system is it then relies on having to give information over and over again because they don't know what order you're going to see. I also think the character, that's the police, that works in the police, is so badly written. Like, I just didn't, just didn't buy the police at all. I know we're supposed to root for the criminals, but when the police are so badly written, such like a 2D, I, I don't, like I said, I don't know if that's the writing, if it's the actor, if there was some kind of miscommunication between the director and the actor, but I was really disappointed by that. I thought, well, they're going to outsmart outsmart the police because they're useless well it wasn't terrible like some really good set pieces in that show i thought you know some good performances were some really really satisfying payoffs across some of the episodes but but overall like if you're going to create a tv show put the episodes in an order that works for you and build on that and create a narrative story for me the experiment didn't really work now the other show that i finished and i don't really want to go on loads about is the rig but I, I watched all six episodes. I got to the end of it. And in terms of poor narrative, this definitely should win an award. <laughs> it was characters making U-turns from one scene to the next. Dialogue that was just really, really ropey. I mean, again, without wanting to give too big a spoiler away, there is a threat to the existence of everybody on the planet. And rather than sending in scientists or the military, they send in middle manager Mark Addy on his own, with no way of communicating <laughs> with the mainland. Just ridiculous. But some good special effects at times. It, it was one of those where I I was convinced the cast must have had their contracts before they'd seen the scripts. I didn't watch The Rig, and I'm not going to, um, but I have greatly appreciated the TV DNA WhatsApp group, which has been spicy with your comments. Yeah, it's not been great. But speaking of the rig, um, in our last Happy Valley episode, I introduced a new feature, which was where have I seen you before? Slash, sorry, I didn't recognise you with your clothes on. And so I just wanted to give you my second one of these. So the actress, I'm not going to tell you the actress's name. She plays Cat in the rig. And I'm going to show you a photo. So if you, uh, listeners at home, if you Google the rig Cat, you should, well, I don't know, probably, the rig Cat TV show, maybe, image search, then you should see someone like this that's not a great picture. easy easy line of duty. it is line of duty it's Rashenda sandal who plays opposite stephen graham in i think season three of line of duty i would just like to say here that i have not seen season three of line of duty but really appreciating this actress's name because that is my middle name and no one's ever heard of it true story. Every, every time i say it to people they're like what where is that from is that made up and i could be like no there is one one famous person Averagely famous person with that name. There you go. And I want to apologise for last episode because I didn't name the actor who plays Uncle George in The Servant, but it's Boris MacGyver is the actor's name. That's who was our, our first feature. Listen back to our Happy Valley episode for that exciting instalment of the new feature. Just Googled the actress and uh, it's actually spelled completely differently. So strike that from the record. There are no, repeat, zero famous people with my name. So Demo, what have you been watching? I watched... The entire second season of Alice in Borderland, a crazy Japanese show that had the first series during lockdown, I believe it came out. So yeah, what's the second series of that? I thought the second series was really good, bar about 30 minutes in the hour and a half final episode that were just unnecessarily long. Lots of long flashbacks and kind of staring off to middle distance stuff. It was really unnecessary. We almost fast forwarded it 
It was so bad. I've started watching Vikings Valhalla. It's like I said before, it's it's currently not as good as the original Vikings show. I think it can still be decent. I think it's it's their their big Berline boots to fill, but I think they're kind of they're doing well. And uh, I've also watched a bit more Andor. Andor what? I'm glad to see you finally succumbed, Adam. <laughs> uh, where are you up to? Episode four. Just on the subject of Martin Compton, I did try and watch Mayflies. So watch the kind of opening of that. And I'll be honest, didn't love it. Didn't grab me. I don't know if I just wasn't in the right headspace because it's quite slow going. So I might give it another go. But yeah, was a little bit disappointed. That's a shame. It's one of those I've kind of been umming and ahhing about. Am I going to give some time to watching this? And I've just, I mean, I've been watching, you know, all sorts of other older shows like Atlanta and True Detective and The Twilight Zone. So I'm just enjoying those too much to have gambled on those. So it's good to hear that it wasn't that great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a, I might try and like persevere because I don't think I don't think it's very long. I think it's only like a couple of episodes. So I might persevere and give it another go. Um, again, it's quite sort of I don't know. I think it's quite bleak's the wrong word, but I, it's quite drama heavy. So I. I don't know if I just wasn't quite in the right mindset for it when I tuned in, because obviously I'd binge watched The Traitors like two days before. (laughs) Very different pace, very different style. So maybe I'll give it another go, but um, I'll keep you posted on that. Please do. Please do. Well, let's talk about what's coming soon then. I'm really excited about shrinking. Oh my God, I had to total mind blank then. Yeah, really excited about shrinking. I've heard really, really good things. So that comes out Friday and it's, Bill Lawrence and Brett Goldstein of Ted Lasso. So I'm really excited about that. The cast is amazing. I don't think I'd realise quite how many good people were in it. I think Jason Segal is brilliant. Apparently Harrison Ford in his, I think, only second TV role. And apparently he doesn't really do comedy. And he's brilliant. Everyone's like, it's revelation. He's fantastic. So I'm really, really excited about that. Um, It's been compared to BoJack Horseman a little bit, which I love. It's like one of my all-time favourite TV shows. Highly recommend if you've not watched it. In that kind of... I can't remember what the word one review used, that kind of like sad comedy. I think they call it sad cool comedy. Yeah, I've only ever watched one episode of Bojack and it has been, it's been on my list to catch up with. It's one of one time. of the best TV things you'll ever watch, genuinely. And considering it's an animated show about a horse, really incredible. Will Arnett, who does the voice of Bojack, right? So he pops up for one episode in Our Flag Means Death, which again was quite enjoyable drinking i'm also excited about this because it's an apple tv plus show and i'm i'm not sponsored by apple tv plus but i feel like i am and love all of their shows but this is about a therapist who starts telling his clients exactly what he thinks right that's the premise yeah Yeah, and i I believe he's just lost his wife so it's kind of also about grief and kind of an exploration of that but that is the premise yeah and do we know if chewbacca will be appearing alongside harrison ford in this i hope so i think contractually that's sort of what is agreed with all harrison ford vehicles right Sure, absolutely. Well, the other show coming out also on Friday, this time I think on Netflix, or I haven't written that down, is Lockwood & Co. And this is written and directed by Joe Cornish of Adam & Joe fame. It's a British detective thriller series based on Jonathan Stroud's book series of the same name. And it's a kind of YA show, so talented teenage ghost hunters journey nightly into dangerous combat with deadly spirits. I'm really looking forward to this. I've seen the trailer 
I think it looks great. Big fan of Adam and Joe as well. So I will be watching Lockwood and Co and Shrinking in the coming weeks. I'm also very excited about Lockwood and Co. I'm actually reading Adam Buxton's Ramble book, which is his sort of autobiography at the moment, which I got for Christmas. And there's a lot of stories about him and Joe growing up and the sort of influences on them. So I think it'll be a really interesting thing to watch alongside reading that. And his podcast, Royalty, right? The Adam Buxton oh, yeah. podcast is, is you so know, good. A, a must listen. Should we move on to news then? There was a new Mandalorian trailer, which Neil Shepek will be very, very excited about. And he shared with us on the WhatsApp group. And Neil and I will almost certainly be doing Mandalorian podcast episodes when that drops in March. Damien, are you going to be watching that now you're into Andor? Um, I think it's safe to say I am sure I will be. It will definitely be watched in the flat. But as much as I love Giancarlo Esposito, I think Andor is probably going to be where I hang around. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like I'm very behind on anything related to new Star Wars post about 2010. So I don't think I'll be caught up on everything by the time that comes around. But I wish you well. May the force be with you. Well, Mandalorian kicked off the sort of Star Wars TV shows and you know it is really really brilliant and it kind of has a sort of western seven samurai sort of feel to it Sergio Leone sort of style in the Star Wars universe they are really really good they then followed that up with a book of Boba Fett which was awful and Obi-Wan Kenobi which was okay but Andor definitely topped the lot for me and is, is is superb I'm really looking forward to seeing the Mandalorian baby baby Yoda is awesome and Pedro Pascal again is in this who's our Last of Us star. Some other news which has come out of left field recently. I didn't even know there was going to be a Frasier reboot, but apparently that's old news. The new news on this is that Nicholas Lindhurst is going to be co-starring, co- not guest starring, co-starring in the Frasier reboot, which is going to happen, come out at some point this year. Would you guys like to know my one celebrity encounter of my life? It involves Nicholas Lindhurst. When I was 16, I waitressed in a little sandwich bar in my local city, Chichester, for anyone listening, South Coast, represent. And I once made a sandwich for Nicholas Lindhurst, who was a very nice man. What was the sandwich? I think it was like a roast beef and horseradish kind of number. It didn't have chicken in it. It didn't have chicken in it. What a great like tie-in to this episode that would have been. But I remember it was definitely high end of the menu, which makes me think it was that. But yeah, he was a very, very nice man. Very understated. Wearing a great anorak from memory. I was watching the Monty Python documentary with Catherine last night. Catherine used to work in Waterstone. She says, oh, I once, I once served Terry Jones in Waterstones. And then she was like, no, 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 no. It wasn't Terry Jones. I once served Terry Gilliam buying... Terry Jones's book in Waterstones. And then the episode went on and she was like, no, I got it completely wrong. I once served Michael Palin buying Terry Jones's book in Waterstones. That sounds like it very quickly could have devolved into the four Yorkshiremen sketch. Yeah, it was a very meta, meta Python moment. <laughs> There's some only murders in the building news, is he? Yeah, I'm really excited about this. Paul Rudd, who was in the finale of season two, is coming back as a series regular for season three. Um, And Meryl Streep is joining the cast, which I am so psyched about. And this was revealed in such a great way with Selena Gomez doing a little video of like the green room with um, Martin Short and Steve Martin and kind of panning round. And they see Paul Rudd and everyone gets really excited. And then he's like, oh, no, but it gets better. And then they pan around again and Meryl Streep's there. So I am so excited for this. 
I really love this show. I think it's brilliant. It's like a really comforting autumn watch for me. So yeah, can't wait. Amazing casting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to season three of that. Did you watch Big Little Lies when it was on? I didn't. That is on my list of my sort of resolution shows this year. Shows I missed the first time round, but need to watch. Big Little Lies is on that. Yeah, Meryl Streep in season two is incredible. Any other news then? Yeah, so I've got I've got two bits of news I'm really excited about. The first is that Josh Molina, aka Will Bailey in the West Wing, did a tweet this week, just being like, "Oh, really excited about the West Wing reboot." I kind of teased it, and obviously everyone went mad, and it went all over the TV press. Um, I don't think this is real because famously he loves to just kind of troll people, and he's done some behind the scenes shots of Bradley Whitford that definitely look like Bradley Whitford about 10 years ago. Like people who don't know, Bradley Whitford, aka Josh Lyman and Josh Molina have a really great like ongoing prank war where they will just do stupid things to each other all the time. I think there's a Twitter account dedicated to it, which I will see if we can link in the show comments. But quite often he will do things like post happy 60th birthday, Bradley Whitford, when Bradley Whitford is not anywhere near 60 yet for example but this is I don't know no one no one really knows if this is true or not or where it's come from or if it's part of a bigger joke obviously yeah can see the entire internet going a bit mad about it if it is true but I think it's probably likely to be a Josh Molina prank but still very exciting to see it just immediately hit like all the news headlines was great and then the second thing I was really excited about happening this week is that I've mentioned Nick Offerman and we've mentioned Will Arnett her ex-husband but for anyone who saw SNL this weekend with Aubrey Plaza, which was fantastic, and I know uh, we're all fans of the White Lotus on the podcast, um, Amy Poehler did a surprise little guest spot where she turned up and played Leslie Nope, which I was so happy about. I mean, it's been like the brightest part of my January so far. Where do you watch? I have never seen a Saturday Night Live if you go on Instagram, on their Instagram, they post most of the good sketches. So if you go on a Sunday morning, that's kind of where I like catch up. But I think they also do bits on YouTube as well. Wow, excellent stuff. Well, thank you both very, very much for this. Uh, we're going to be back again next week with The Last of Us and Happy Valley. So thank you for listening. Has anyone got a line to see us out on? Our luck had to run out sooner or later. From this point on, we are silent. The only one I had for this was bomb the city to the ground. And we absolutely can't end on that. So, yeah, one of you guys. Awesome.